Welcome back to Humans of Purpose, the weekly podcast featuring conversations with local purpose-driven leaders, leaders creating social impact through their work and fostering in a new era of social progress. We want you to listen, connect, and grow with us. Learn more at humansofpurpose.com. What we're finding is we've got a huge log jam at the moment. So um, if you take some of the, the reports about two and a half years work for a uh, two and a half year gap between full time education and full time work, yeah. right? Um, so you're thinking about two and a half years of a lot of uni kids who are, who are qualified staying in part time work. Mm-hmm. Um, that part time work used to be for 16, you know, 17, 18 year olds. And now it's for uni graduates. Welcome back to the podcast, and it is great to have you with us as always. Well, today I've got a very special guest. He's my friend, Brendan O'Connell. He's Executive Officer at BGKLLEN, which stands for, I know you're all wondering, it's the Bayside Glenora Kingston Local Learning and Employment Network. They're a small not-for-profit that believes good things happen when communities invest in their young people. Brendan is leading some really innovative work uh, down at the LEN and he's looking at things like that uh, pathway from education to employment in youth. Um, He's looking at the state of our schools. He's got a comprehensive and really um, quite fascinating history working in Aboriginal health and with Victorian Aboriginal communities. He's travelled quite broadly. He's been in the public sector. So he's a man who's got a range of perspectives on a whole range of topics and he's a deep thinker. So we often get together and talk about um, meaning and purpose in work and the future of work. So all those things come up in this podcast and more and it's a wonderful chat and I do urge you to stick around to the end. If you hadn't had a chance, do check out last week's podcast with the founder and managing director of both Make Ventures and Assemble, Chris Daff. It's a really interesting conversation about a man who knows a hell of a lot about the domestic property market, um, how we move from renting to home purchase in a really difficult economic circumstances and how to live in a more sustainable community-centered way. So click the link in the show notes and also head to assemblecommunities.com to learn more about that. As always, I want to send a special thank you and shout out to our our Patreon supporters, Misha D and wife, Joel F, Stuart M and McCartan. Your ongoing support uh, each month has been tremendous for Humans of Purpose and helps us grow and perform each and every week. I'm excited that we'll soon be launching our premium uh, full version podcast for our Patreon subscribers. So if you are keen to get an additional 15 minutes of the full version of the podcast featuring some of my favorite uh, well-worked-on questions to our wide array of guests, then I suggest you become a Patreon and uh, click the link in the show notes. So we usually uh, meet for a coffee or lunch around the Bayside suburbs. <laughs> so it's a pleasure to have you in my home today, Brendan. Welcome. Thank you, Mike. It's terrific to have you. You're one of the few people who actually brought a drink with you, which I thought was very good planning. <laughs> yeah, well, it is, um, it's been a long day, so I needed the coffee to keep me going. I'm a bit concerned coffee, though, at 7 p.m. Is that a re- regular thing? Uh, it can be. It just depends what's going on. We've got it. We do a lot of after-hours work at the LEN. So. <laughs> you don't stop at the LEN. So, look, I do want to get to the LEN because I think it's a fascinating um, topic and area mm. of conversation. But first, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your journey into the space. Yeah, sure. Look, I probably started as... A lot of kids did. Um, I, I started in West Brunswick uh, and went to primary school there. And and later on, uh, my mother and, and father split up. So we uh, I made the move with my mother to Mildura. Um, so I spent a lot of time in, in regional Victoria or rural Victoria. And um, uh, out there, there wasn't too many options uh, post-school. So I was one of those kids who, who kind of fumbled their way through school 
didn't really specialize in anything, took subjects that I thought I might enjoy, which was kind of the advice of most career advisors at that stage. Um, and yeah, sort of uh, made my way through school, finished school. Um, and my uh, lovely career advisor at the time thought it might be a good idea if I applied for uni. Um, so uh, decided to take her advice and uh, went into accounting, which is, of course, probably the perfect um, uh, course for anyone who's interested in sport and skateboarding and everything but <laughs> going to say everything I'm, but numbers. I'm not sure how that meshes with the previous advice of doing things that you like. Yeah, but, uh, interesting. Nonetheless. That's right. Yeah, um, yeah and uh, I guess. Uh, I probably I probably lasted a good six months at, yeah. at university before I just started really fading off and mm. just spending time with mates and stuff and not really going along. And so passed the first semester amazingly and then um, sort of decided to defer and from there went into um, uh, an apprenticeship in hospitality. And for me, that was kind of a moment where I changed from a kid with very little responsibility to someone who was locking up a front bar with, you know, a $20,000 till. And um, all of a sudden, I just, I just decided, oh, I just found myself really in a position where I was, uh, I don't know, in responsibility and, and felt really trusted. And um, I started to really uh, shine, I think, and, and come into my own and find myself and be a, uh, I don't know, a useful little person. <laughs> it's amazing what a, a bit of responsibility can do though, right? Yeah. You know, having to step up into a, um, a sort of protection role or yeah. looking after something. Yeah, and going from, um, I guess, listening for, for for hours of people talking to you about what's important and talking to you about what you need to know to someone, uh, you know, a sm- I was in a, a five-star hotel, three chefs hat restaurant being mentored by, you know, this amazing woman um, and being trusted to, I guess, you know, be a part of that family and environment from the first day like you know there was no sort of big lead in time there was there was none of that you were you were straight on the front door and you were helping people in and you were serving them and and those sorts of things so I just think I just needed to be trusted to be honest I'd had a a kind of life where um, a lot a lot of my uh, people just trusted me to get through school and all those sorts of things and I was just fading I wasn't sort of interested in being talked at anymore. I needed to sort of find my own little groove and, and uh, yeah, and so working for a family organisation uh, like the Mildura Grand Hotel, which is where I was, um, was just kind of the kick in the ass that I needed. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm. So a bit of discipline comes from that and maybe a bit of maturity as yeah, well. Yeah, very much so. What do you go on to do after that? Uh, so after that, I um, uh, I actually used that apprenticeship to travel overseas for a couple of years. So everything from working in bars and um, in London to um, chucking off bed sheets in Dublin, and you know, just sort of working my way around Europe for for a couple of years, which I think is is you know for a lot of families that's probably kind of a normal thing for a, for a, you know sort of a nineteen twenty year old to do. Um, and for our family, my sister had sort of set that standard. Um, for me as well like just get out and you know sort of enjoy the world and find yourself and get away from you know we've got a really large Irish family um, so just you know bail on that and and get out and find yourself and have a really good time Um, yeah yeah so uh, the the tickets the the kind of apprenticeship gave me that license to I don't know like people over in Europe were just amazed that we'd we'd studied three years on the job to do um, you know what they see is kind of a a really low role or, or something you just you know get your um, immigrants in to do or really is that how it's seen over there yeah absolutely I mean when when you talk about well for me it was anyway when you talk about 
Australians being really trusted and working overseas, a lot of it's to do with the fact that uh, I think a lot of us, you know, study in 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 areas that you know over there you know, aren't seen as the, the the great jobs. You know, like hospitality here is, you know, I think you know one in four kids or something, you know, might go into hospitality. Yeah. So it's it's a really big part of our life. Um, I think and, we should all experience a bit of hospitality. I, yeah, I, I did my run in a cafe actually, probably a bit later than I don't know. My first job, I think it was year nine or year ten. I worked four hours a week in the local fish and chip shop. Yeah, and I was terrible at it, but at least I got the experience of knowing what that was like and I really did remember enjoying the responsibility because mm. then I went to go on and get different jobs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but that's part of the important part of that sort of journey to sort of discovering what you can do and other people believe in you maybe. Yeah, that's right. Um, so, look, I, I really used that that ticket to its, its full, to, full um, uh, you know, sort of use overseas and, and had a really amazing uh, sort of adventure and came back uh, to Australia as, a, I think, a really – a really well-rounded individual um, who'd done it pretty tough at times overseas, but also, you know, just had really amazing experiences. And then um, uh, went back to Mildura and uh, talked to the hotel I'd been working at and the and the um, mentor that I'd had. And she she sort of said, "Look, if you wanted to, you could come back and work for us." And my heart sort of sunk a little bit. I didn't want to go back into that sort of work and so I sort of told her um and we had a really good relationship so I could tell her and I sort of said look you know I was actually looking to maybe step up you know like do something a bit different um and she actually encouraged me to uh, go and work for a, like our local training organization TAFE kind of organization and uh yeah I got a job sort of training the trainees at that hotel awesome. so yeah that, and that was like an amazing step up I wasn't ready I don't think at that point mm. for the for the responsibility but um, sort of soon found my groove and worked out what sort of teaching and training was all about. Um, and from that started working with also the local youth groups, um, and doing some, you know, sort of life skills training, how to use a till, how to make coffee, those sorts of things. So those kids could get some, um, job skills. And then also started working with the Koori Open Door Education School, um, and just really sort of broadening my horizons of where sort of education can have a bit of an impact on individuals. And yeah, really found kind of this, this sort of love for that vocational education space. Um, I think. In my time in school, and, and it might be the same for you, Mike, um, a lot of that sort of career discussion was for kids that were getting kicked out. They were for, for the year 10s that weren't going to see the end of year 12, yeah. you know, no one was having real career discussions with the kids that were going to see out year 12. They were just having discussions about university. Yeah. And uh, I always found that was sort of a miscarriage for a lot of the kids that um, that I knew and myself because if someone had been talking to them at a very early point about how you use these skills in the rest of your mm. life, you really, you know, you, I would have seen a lot more kids go on to, to things earlier or found them earlier. Um, it's, it's so weird. I, I mean, I don't remember any conversations really about yeah. what people were going to do. It was sort of like you chose your subjects yeah. and then it was assumed that you're going to do really well in all of them. And then you'll probably just be a lawyer or yeah, that's right. be a, a, you know, a commerce grad yeah. or something. But, yeah, very much that what you said reflect, is reflective of my experience where probably like a, there weren't any mentors or people in school or around that time to tell you what you might consider doing beyond the traditional professions. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, and a lot of the kids that I worked with like or uh, went to school with in uh, Mildura, they were the sort of kids who were, you know, possibly going to work on their family block or, you know, in wineries or, um, you know, olive oil pressing, like those sorts of jobs. If you think about that now, they would have absolutely cashed in on on a market if they had have, um, really saw that as, 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 as an 
opportunity to learn as well as work. You tell them to just go into craft beer, just, yeah, just get right. some extra hops and <laughs> make something a bit different and you'll yeah. be, you're on your way. All those um, old Italian families that we used to work with who hung on to all those grapes that none of the wineries wanted, you oh, know, yeah. like yep. who are now, you know, making the Tempranillos and, yep. and things like that and making Perfect. a fortune. Yeah. That's, that's a very Melbourne thing to do, I feel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I think, you know, like for me, uh, uh, that sort of um, that role there and, and I ended up um, – uh, leaving that job because we picked up um, the Hungry Jacks in Mildura. When Hungry Jacks moved to Mildura, um, our organisation got that uh, contract. So I was training kids in fast food, <laughs> which really sort of broke my heart a little bit. Um, but yeah, I, I from there thought like you know this. I, I know kind of where my my um, um, specialty lies. You know, yeah. there there's a need for. Um, you know, apprentices and people who have worked in industry to get involved with schools. And um, so I took that opportunity to move down um, from Mildura to the Mornington Peninsula mm-hmm. and, and got a job that down there with um, some of the pilot VCAL schools, uh, talking to kids about, you know, sort of opportunities outside of the normal mainstream education. Mm-hmm. And that was about the time that um, uh, there, there was a whole bunch of reports going on about, you know, school pathways and what that looks like. And VCAL came out and um, so they had brought out a, you know, a whole new Year 12 equivalent certificate and they started recognising heaps of, um, you know, different experiences that kids are having on the job as part of their schooling. And, you know, it was just kind of like the perfect storm for me to mm. be right in the middle of and sounds like you're surfing a great wave and um, <laughs> yeah. you and i have talked a lot um, in our conversations about meaningful work and yeah it's, it's value to one's life um what does it mean to you and sort of what has it meant through your kind of years uh look it's it's i've always been someone who needs to scratch an itch as part of my work right i don't i don't i don't think um naturally i'd get up easy and go to work if i didn't feel like i was part of something you know a bigger change or or whatever which and i'm sure you hear that a lot on this podcast podcast but um i really felt like i needed you know sort of my my vibe and and my fight um and for a while like there in that in that that um that area you know frankston mornington peninsula there was a real fight to be had um around making sure that kids got access to to really good career advice really good opportunities to you know get out in the workforce um those sorts of things and that that's um i think for me really gave me a chance to to sort of get involved reflect see if this is my jam you know all those sorts of things and i I felt really positive about you know sort of where i was going and and probably had you know sort of my best sense of self around that sort of time about mm. what, what I could do. Um, it didn't, like, obviously, I, I've taken other uh, career journeys at the time uh, uh, during my time, but um, they've always been an educational edge to them. And they, they seem to be also focused on that kind of that delicate pathway from youth to maturity and, you know, um, having the guidance and support around that to make good decisions. Yeah, that's right. Um, but, look, uh, like, uh, I think... Um, uh, you know, at that stage, I, I went back to study and and um, did a certificate called the Inno- uh, the um, Innovation in Education and Training, which was a postgrad. And I really felt um, at that time that that was going to be probably my linear path, like um, stick around that sort of um, uh, vocational education uh, for for good. Um, but then, you know, like a, a, like any kid, I was living, you know, Frankston morning to Peninsula and I was travelling into the city to see my mates and stuff. And, um, yeah, I, I ended up deciding that uh, it was time for me to go back to the city. 
and went back to live in Collingwood and <laughs> have a really good time around Brunswick Street and all those sorts of areas. And Absolutely. Um, yeah, went went to work for for an amazing woman who's who's actually um, quite close to my family, but um, her name's Esme Manahan or or Jackamoss, and um, she's probably from one of the you know the most um, activist Aboriginal families around Melbourne and she was um, uh, running a, a, a part of the, the department called the Koori Business Network and she was looking for someone to come in and do some work around, um, uh, you know, sort of training in, in starting your own business for some of the Aboriginal communities around Mildura and Robinvale and so she actually um, mentioned to me, you know, look, you've got some relationships with the community up there, with, is that something you would like to do? And um, it really sort of like uh, it's it, it felt like it was going to scratch that same itch, you know, like I really felt like this is something, you know, I would love to do. Um, I would love to get back amongst the community in Mildura. I love those kids up there. So um, I really thought, you know, this is going to be a good opportunity for me. So I went back to went to work for the department for a year, only lasted a year, I must say. <laughs> it wasn't... Well, common, common experience, yeah. common experience. That's right. It was, it, it, it was um, elements of it was everything I wanted and then other elements were really difficult, working with the machinery of government yes. and communities that move and change as quickly as, as the ones I was working with was it was really difficult to try and find, you know, a happy place. I felt like I was apologising a lot for the, the slowness of, you know, the, sort of the bureaucratic process. And I, I um, found that a really interesting thing about working in government is like, you feel very mentally stimulated and working on meaningful and purposeful things, but you also feel um, strangely distant and removed from the on-the-ground action. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's like you're talking about a lot of stuff and you're kind of going through these complex processes in this big organisation, but what is actually happening or what change are you affecting? And I know for myself, when I was ready to exit government, it was sort of like I wasn't able to feel as though my work was making any direct change or difference yeah yeah i think i think yeah i I reckon you're bang on um i think for me it was really around that whole sort of concept of building up sort of the the um idea of what we could do for someone and then asking them to to wait was really difficult and we were working in micro enterprise so there's you know thousand dollar loans you know, five thousand dollar loans, those sorts of things. So not big business, um, and these guys just don't have the time yeah. <laughs> time to wait. You know, yeah. like the whole world moves in eight weeks or whatever it might take to get departmental sign off on a mm. micro loan. So it was just a really difficult sort of um, a period of using my relationships, my existing relationships, to just pause things or hold mm. things mm. to make sure that you know, like um, I guess, use the trust there to to make sure things would would um, would come good at the end, or or to to you know tell people that things would come good but at the that's end. That's a very hard thing as well because um really you know you were relying on some previous relationships you have with communities and whenever you do a job you know for someone else with those communities you've got to kind of you know you're selling one to the other in a way yeah yeah a little bit yeah feel confident correct uh, that it's going to work out yeah yeah and maybe you're the broker between the two yeah um yeah, so uh, uh, from that, I, I um, uh, decided to, or, or was approached and, and went and worked for VATRO, which is the um, peak body in Aboriginal health, um, to work with a, uh, both GP registrars on um, uh, trying to, uh, I guess, educate them about working in Aboriginal communities and, and, and try and uh, get them to spend their registrar placement within Aboriginal community-controlled organisations across Victoria. Um, but also to to work with some of the co-ops around how to prepare for accreditation, medical accreditation, and those sorts of things through a time of change for them. And that was that was um, you know like just the most amazing job uh, you know that I think um, anyone could ever have. So that was you know 
um, five or six years just working, you know, in all of the little, you know, pockets of the community and um, hanging out with, uh, you know, some of the most fantastic, you know, f- fantastic health practitioners you could mm. ever wish to meet. Um, it's got a great reputation, Vacho. Yeah, and if you haven't if you haven't ever been around Aboriginal health, it's the kind of thing that you would want for everyone. You know, it is not it's not just a model for Aboriginal health. From in my mind, it's a, it's a a model for for everyone's health. So the idea that you know you've got workers that come and uh, greet you and work with you while you're waiting in the waiting room to tick off whatever they can before you go and see a GP. The fact you can take your family and you can do long consults, those sorts of things was just, I don't know, it was a model that you were, you were, you know, you just start singing from the rooftops mm-hmm. to everyone that you know and sort of saying, hey, this is really good. This is making, and you know, I, I, in, in my heart of hearts, I think only the Aboriginal community controlled organisations are having a real impact on Aboriginal health. Um, they're absolutely fantastic um, sort of environments to work in and people to work for. So it was a real eye-opener around how to do good um, service, I think, mm-hmm. and um, something I've definitely held on to. And I was working for um, a woman called Jill Gallagher, who's now running the um, Victorian Treaty Commissioner. Oh, wow. And, yeah, and she, I mean, she sort of gave me, a, a, I think, you know, so much um, uh, guidance and confidence about how to, you know, really engage and, and work with community and those sorts of things. So, um, and build up some beautiful relationships with people that are, you know, still call friends well, today. Let me ask you about that because yeah. I'm very curious and I just love to know because it seems like a challenge for a lot of um, people. How does um, a, a white guy kind of go into those communities and build trust and build a good relationship? Well, what, what were some of the sort of takeaways for you in that process? Yeah, look, it, it, it's, it's an interesting one. I, I don't know from um, kind of an outside point of view because if you work for someone like Vacho, you've got, you know, like an Aboriginal board, an Aboriginal CEO who have employed you to do this sure, task. Sure. You know, you come in with a different um, kind of set of credentials so you've almost. Got that kind of, you're already kind of um, – you've got the armour on in a yeah, way. Yeah, like that's credibility. right. Yeah, that's right. You've been you've been sussed out, you know, like you've been checked on. But um, I think you know, like the Aboriginal community isn't like um, uh, it, it doesn't have a big barrier up to anyone who wants to get involved. And I think you know Melbourne's really shining a light on it very more recently. I mean, if you've been to any NADOC event in the last while, or if you've been to you know the Change the Date rallies and stuff, there is a really beautiful mix of you know black and white faces now that probably wasn't there ten years ago. Yeah. Um, and I really feel like uh, those barriers are, are right down at their lowest point. And I think you know. The Victorian uh, government talking about treaty is a real, you know, I think um, probably a lot of the Aboriginal community feels it's most involved and most hopeful that it has been for a long time um, around nice real change. Optimism, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So we also have our first um, Aboriginal uh, minister for Aboriginal yeah, affairs and yeah. at the, the federal level, which is also a nice That's right. step. Yeah. So yeah, so I think a lot of a lot of um, like going back to your, to your question, I think a lot of those barriers are down a bit now um, around how to work with people. But uh, I think you know, like the Aboriginal community is uh, like kind of like um, they're they're so Australian, mm-hmm. like. Um, but I don't think we're yet worked out, you know, that how that all fits. But um, they're all about the humour, all about, you know, a lot of um, uh, sort of uh, fun and um, but also very serious around what the what the mission of whatever you're doing has mm. got to be. So um, there's a lot of that sort of Australian larrikin that we have definitely yep. got from yep. being around Aboriginal people, there's no doubt about it, um, but we're yet to really kind of identify it and embrace it, I think. Um, anyone wants to take anything out of this podcast, is that's a really like an important part of who I am now yeah. is learning kind of, 
about like uh, you know Australian culture um, through that work that I did, but also through the relationships that I have, and just you know how I can take that on to to other parts of my work life um, and be aware of it and inclusive um, of that culture. Sure. So let's talk a little bit about then that delicate passage between school and sort of vocation yeah. or university and uh, what we do after, and also m- maybe just start with. Um, Introducing BGK Len, yeah, and then talking about what a learn local is, and yeah, what, what it isn't, and a local it, learning and employment network for sure. Um, a bit of the history behind that. As well. <laughs> yeah, no worries at all. Look, we're we're probably um, uh, and uh, like being on a, a podcast like this is kind of unique, I think, for a, a, a Len EO because we're always the background people. So um, we are funded partnership brokers which means we're never the the experts of everything. We're always the people that know the experts pull them in to work with young people. Um, so our LEN or the Bayside Glenira Kingston Local Learning and Employment Network, if anyone's wondering what the acronym is. Obviously BGK Lola LEN. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, yeah, so we're, we're basically funded to do um, a few things. We're funded to uh, keep kids in school. Um, we're funded to connect them to community and, and employment through uh, the Structured Workplace Learning Program. And we also uh, sort of follow up kids about six months after school when they're not doing what they thought they would be doing and we help them connect with local services. So that might be something from mental health or it might be, you know, TAFE or uni or whatever that might be. Um, so our real organi- our organisations, there's, there's 31 local learning and employment networks across the state and we cover every council area and every school. Um, and our real core sort of um, uh, 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 purpose came from a review um, by James Kirby in about 2001. So I think we're on our 18th birthday, which is kind of cute as well. Um, Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, so we uh, came from a, a review that basically said that, um, uh, that, that other providers, youth providers, TAFE providers, those sorts of people, employers, all have a role in keeping kids at school. And the lens were kind of like a quite a brave policy decision um, by Lynn Kosky, the late Lynn Kosky, who um, all of us I think hold quite dearly because she was, you know, VCAL and lens and these sorts of things. Um, yeah, she made the decision that that you know these partnership based organisations could exist in community to be um, place based responsive to um so we run we we were set up under boards that were made up of our local you know TAFE schools um uh, employer bases industry all those sorts of things um to really sort of uh, navigate our own space and find what works um to keep kids in school make sure they get through year 12 or equivalent um and make successful transitions afterwards and it's i think it's still to this there's no equivalent um, and in fact, the, the feds tried to run an equivalent program for a period of time. Um, but there is just like we're, we're, you know, as I said, 18 years in our communities now, we've got a really good sense of who they are and um, can do some really great advocacy work um, on behalf of young people mm. with the department um, and also deliver some really good programs and bring in some really good people. So how has your, your mission changed over time and what are your sort of focus areas now? It's really funny. Um, so uh, what we were originally set up to do was um, build connections for young people to keep them in school. Um, and the latest consult we did uh, with you guys was um, re- really showed that people think we're the organisation that keeps kids in school. So almost that remit from 2001 to, to um, 2019 is still the same. Um, and we've been funded under the red books, the blue books, you know, federal government, uh, Victorian government 
um, all different persuasions um, and still <laughs> non-denominational. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we're kind of, we're kind of a bit stubborn. I think the lens we 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 really stick with that that place based stuff. So some lens are really needed in that space of well-being and health and, you know, keeping kids well enough to go to school. Um, and other lens are really focused on, right, once you've done school, here's your 50 different pathways into mm. employment. Um, so lens can really shape, you know, where they work in that, in that sort of um, whole lifelong learning space. Um, we've got certain lens out in the country who just will not stop working with, you know, the middle years and they're doing fantastic work. Like they, they get, you know, every accolade under the sun. Um, so they're able to, to advocate, you know, well, this is our, our, our gap and this is where we're going to work. And I think that's a really important part. I think it's a fascinating model because it's sort of that hyper-locality mm. and responsiveness, but yeah. also working across similar issues but in different ways. Yeah, yeah. So if you think if you think about our area in Bayside, so we cover the Bayside, Glen Iron, Kingston Council, um, we don't, like, we can't ever really fight for, you know, disadvantaged funding. Um, we're bordered by Dandenong and Frankston yep. and St Kilda and these sorts of areas. Um, so very rarely are we one of the key areas that they're looking to fund. Um, so we really have to leverage off the capital that we have. Um, so we do a huge amount of like co-design with our kids. Um, we offer our programs out to any school who wants them. Um, so we really do the, the, the sort of build local for local need and then let it go global. Um, and we, I think, um, you know, part of that, part of that thinking is that even though we've got pockets of disadvantage, we've got some really amazing young people as well. So how can we use them to help service that, that, that disadvantage? And I think that's a kind of our little unique patch. So is it your dream job, basically? Uh, look, it's it's exactly what you want if you're a jack of all trades, and and I think you know I've worked across quite a few different areas, so I don't really have a specialty knowledge base. And so for me, um, I think maybe I'm multilingual in sector based talk, so you know I can talk across health and education and those sorts of things. Well, I wouldn't have picked that. I mean, I, yeah. I do think that you you definitely. Um, appear as a generalist, but if I if you were to say to me, Mike, you know, what do you think I'm good at? And I'd say, well, um, you know a lot about how to relate to Aboriginal communities, which is a really <laughs> like for white fellows is a pretty specialised skill. I feel, and also you you're incredibly aware of the education system and funding needs and how to yeah. make things happen at that local level. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's because we get to hang out with amazing people. Yeah. you know, like, yeah. and so I think that's uh, kind of the trade off. So, for instance, in our area, and and people wouldn't really guess it. We we probably got some of the or if not you know the busiest that you know one of the the busiest headspace centers in in victoria really um, that would have been a highway yeah that's well. right so in our area for instance um it seems you know in local in 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 more disadvantaged communities it seems a lot of the um the focus on on young people and mental health is around kind of acting out and those sorts of things with and, and maybe that comes from a trauma background or whatever around our area kids kids really um uh you know sort of uh I don't know. Like they, they take the, there's a huge amount of self harm and suicide in our area, mm. and and they're kids who seem to um, internalize um, whatever's going on around them rather than external, you know, yeah. sort of lash out or whatnot. So they kind of go missing until it's all tragic and awful, and. Yeah. Um, we find it like obviously our, our youth services are all aware of that and and working on it, but it it's a different kind of um, uh, it's a different kind of measure. It's a hard one to to sort of gather momentum around and yeah. try and you know gather up support for. It's not for. sexy. It's, it's not politically sexy. No, it's not gangs no. running the streets or no. something. You it's know, it's not it's, a high needs area. Yeah. It's um, 
it's an issue of prevalence, but probably presents as privilege a bit. Yeah, yeah, that's um, right. And their kids who, you know, in every other way, shape and form have a support network mm. or, or a supposed support network around mm. them. Um, and a lot of the kids that, 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 um, uh, that, that are in our area that need our help are actually kids who have sort of flown through um, school, you know, very unremarkably. Uh, usually been accepted into to university and something goes wrong in that transition space from year 12 to uni or in their first year of uni, you know, they're one of that 30% dropout or whatever. And all of a sudden they feel that they've never sort of done a work placement. They've never, you know, gone to community events. They've um, not necessarily done, you know, sort of uh, thorough career advice. So they just find themselves really kind of isolated, even though they're well-supported, they just find themselves that, they, that that maybe they haven't had those discussions around their expectations outside of just going to university. What's it like um, if you can give particular examples or cases of young people you've worked with? Yeah, is there light at the end of the tunnel for these kids? And did, do we sort of see? Yeah, hundred percent. Breaking these partnerships, do we see change? Yeah, it's just a little bit of catch up, you know. Mm-hmm. Like it's um, so it's kind of that. Uh, you know, that expectation that you're going to uh, maybe not be a lawyer or whatever, but you're certainly going to be a taxpayer, you know. Yeah. like, And so I think, you know, going back to to, to some of those kids and, and if, if you could have intervened a bit earlier, you would have probably, to, you know, su- suggested maybe some part-time work or, you know, those sorts of things, even though that's a whole new you know, sort of issue we can get to later. But, um, uh, yeah, like you would have suggested some more experience outside of the school um, school gates. I think that's a really big issue. So we've got a lot of kids who are kind of almost sheltered because they're doing well enough at school yeah. that, that yeah. the idea of breaking that somehow is going to yeah. harm that child. Yeah, well, I, I think certainly that that's a, a prevalent theme. Like, you know, you got some families that just sort of say, focus on school, get yeah. into your uni degree. Uh, we don't really know what you're good at or whether you like what you're doing or whether you're engaged or yeah. how your mental health is, but we'll just push you along because it's it's low risk. Yeah. Or it seems low risk. Yeah, yeah. And then it sort of might all blow up at uni. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And they're, and they're, they're like they're the sorts of kids. So we're we're working on projects at the moment to to sort of um, sort of upskill our kind of youth workers and things like that about how to give quality career advice and how to support a young person who maybe doesn't know what they they want to do. Um, because no matter which area we're working, I volunteered in a headspace centre for about three years in Ballarat, and uh, in that headspace in, in that headspace centre, like work was just step four of getting well. You know, mm. there was <laughs> you didn't know what, what you're presented as if yep. you were old enough to be working. You were in school then everyone wanted to return to work or yeah. get into work yeah um so it becomes kind of like one of those measures on a on a social determinant level you yeah. know like i've got are a good you saying that of, um work is like uh step four is in that's the final step or that's uh, just oh, a it step could in the be middle. yeah it could be but it yeah. doesn't have to be that yeah. doesn't have to be the marker but it's always part of those conversations yeah. you know like um people want to be well enough to work they want yeah. to you know feel like they're contributing they want to feel like they're part of a oh. community works a really good way for doing that it's sort of hard to um even describe how important I, th- I feel that is that the, to that sense of wellness wellness yeah. and self yeah. i mean having work and having responsibility it's not it's not really even about um it is obviously about the money and making a salary but it's about um the fact that you're doing something that other people value and is worthwhile to society i feel yeah is yeah sort of key look it's me as an 18 year old yeah. you know that whole yeah. conversation like that concept of like being useful yeah um i think is like <laughs> probably underplayed you know like all oh, of yeah. us feel like we need to be useful but it's not a, i feel like that is essential to self-esteem and, mm. and you know Agreed. self-worth so you know if, if you don't see yourself actualizing as somebody who you know does things it's sort of like 
well, I'm worthless. Maybe, yeah, maybe. yeah. And yeah. I, I think that's a very, very relatable experience. Yeah, yeah. Curious, um, you sort of touched on part the, the part-timeness of work. Yeah. What, what do you mean by that? Oh, mate, in our area, so um, one, I guess, you know, there's a lot of talk at the moment about youth unemployment yep. and what the, what, the, what the issues are around youth unemployment, whether it's, you know, automation or this or yep. that. What we're finding is we've got a huge log jam at the moment. So um, if you take some of the the reports about two and a half years work for a uh, two and a half year gap between full time education and full time work, yep. right? Yeah. Um, so you're thinking about two and a half years of a lot of uni kids who are who are qualified staying in part time work. Mm. Um, that part time work used to be for sixteen you know, 17, 18-year-olds, mm. and now it's for uni graduates. Mm. Um, so what we're finding is the the logjam is right down at the bottom now. It's for, for the most entry-level positions. So um, a lot of our, um, our local area is based around mum and dad businesses, cafes, those sorts of things where um, – Entry-level positions aren't really the sort of thing you advertise. They're the sort of thing you create for the right kid. Mm. And um, so in our area, a lot of kids are struggling, really struggling to get part-time work. That's while they're in school or after? Every Yeah, all the way through, yeah. yeah. That's rough. And I think it, that actually trickles through till the later workforce. So, you know, 23, that kind of maybe post-first university degree yeah. um, onwards, like trying to find that full-time job. But a lot of the those full-time jobs are now three- or four-day-a-week jobs. Yeah. So that that um, compress of the economy. Yeah, yeah. And how many times do you hear, you know, health is the biggest employer? Yeah. Well, they're employing five-year experienced sonographers. They're not looking yeah. for entry-level yeah. positions. You yeah. know, I think um, uh, one of our um, our uh, colleagues in, in Dandenong did some intense research on their local area, and I think it was something like 6% mm. of jobs were for entry-level. That's crazy. So healthy, That's healthy, crazy. Yeah, health is not taking unexperienced yeah. young kids yeah. ready to go. But then doesn't that sort of further press down on the volunteer model and sort of make it so that, you know, if an, if an employer can just have an intern instead of having someone that they pay because there's so much demand for even these part-time jobs, oh, we'll just get an intern. And Correct, then yeah. those people miss out on the that kind of that enhanced experience. Yeah, and young people are learning about internships as well. So yeah. they're now like sort of expressing their want for internships, mm. you know, like so they're not even asking anymore for, you know, when people talk about that the young people won't just take any job, mm. you know, they're all, all waiting for this amazing job that's going to pay them mm. everything they want because they're, you know, greedy little millennials. Yeah. Um, no, they're actually <laughs> crying out for well, think, unpaid entry-level positions because yeah. that's what they see now as their only opportunity. The, the the media and public figure diatribes against millennials, I feel, are quite heinous and just yeah. sort of just <laughs> do no one great yeah. justice. I mean, if, if you if you had to think about what a millennial must be thinking, you know, in someone's head like, it's just like this sort of hipster eating smashed avocado and yeah. soy piccolo on yeah. Brunswick Street when they – could be working, but they're choosing not to. Correct. Uh, it's yeah, just ridiculous. They haven't got their marketing job or something. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. But um, I, I wanted to touch on um, with, with um, what was I going to say? What's the thought? Give me one second. Oh, yeah. With, with the other Learn Locals, do you guys sort of get together regularly to share ideas and sort of collaborate? Yeah, absolutely. So we work as a state lend network um, and we have an executive group, which is a group of VOs who get together and um, sort out, you know, some of those bigger strategic mm-hmm. issues. Um, and we do work on on um, lobbying government as a, as a network on behalf of the entire state. Great. Um, but uh, I think also uh, with within those networks, we've got some of the most incredible individuals. So we've got really amazing, EOs who are, you know, you know, 
Warnable born and bred. So every time they come down to Melbourne for a meeting or we go up there, you know, they're, they're just putting Warnable on the table all day. You, you know, guys like, would be a real pack of rascals. That yeah. Your EOs together yeah, that's right. some pub partying it up. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we like, um, you know, one of the contracts we hold with the department, we actually do our KPI based, um, uh, reporting as a LEN network. So we report against state outcomes rather than individual. So if one area is struggling, we can all sort of chuck, chuck some extra supports around them and boost it up and, and get those numbers through. So, um, we can act, like, I think, um, even though our schools would just know us. Um, we do bring, you know, sort of everything that, that, um, the rest of the network has and we can, we can often leverage their programs or, you know, sort of pick up their bits and pieces and run with them. It's awesome. It sounds good. Um, I was going to ask you, I mean, if you had to sort of talk a bit about the AI and automation revolution yep. that's going on in the industry now and locally, how much of it do you think is kind of puff and, uh, and how much of it is a real threat and is it an uplift or a kind of down pressure? I think so that I think for me, you don't need to necessarily focus so much on what the job is and what the impact of automation is. You just have to realize that I think there's a, a kind of a move in education from kind of like a, an in, industrial knowledge to a um, or, or an industrial economy to a knowledge based economy. So we really have to change. I think some of the, the or, or not change, add on to what used to be the fundamental skills we taught, we teach in schools. So how, like, I, you know, I don't know about you, but I never really learned much about collaboration in school. No. <laughs> in my whole time in school. None you of know? the soft stuff that you actually <laughs> yeah, need is correct. what they teach you in school. It's all the hard stuff. Yeah. So even yeah. communication wasn't yeah. really particularly welcomed unless it was written. Yeah. Um, so, so a whole lot of my schooling life, I didn't learn any of the stuff that has been super valuable mm. to me. And in fact, I learned most of it being a, a shit kicker in a hotel, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. um, that's where you learn to, to be really polite to people and, and, you know, sort of, um, I guess, you know, listen, yeah. deep listen to what they need and try and rectify problems and do problem solving and be cre- creative and all those sorts of things. Yeah. And they're the things that I think, you know, we're, we're starting to introduce into schools. It's starting to pick up. At the moment, there's not much, um, not much give and take on that. Yeah. So all of it is kind of additional programs on top of what already had to be run in the curriculum. Sure. Um, so we're finding ourselves, I think, running quite a packed, rigid curriculum. So you said um, creativity, problem solving and collaboration, would that be sort of like the three uh, major soft skills that you're interested in or you feel are important? Uh, look, you can go with different models. Yeah, so- yeah. Excuse me. One of the things we um, uh, introduced to our school, so we developed a, a toolkit around enterprise skills with the Foundation for Young Australians. And in that, I think there's 11. So that includes digital literacy, financial literacy, yep. presentation skills, all those sorts of things. So um, it goes a bit deeper. We, we think there's room for all of that. Um, and there's room to meet things like, um, you know, the old school writing and arithmetic sort of stuff, literacy and numeracy, whatever you want to call it. We think there's the ability to, to, to meet some of those requirements through doing things like critical feedback as part of your communication skills, yeah. you know, those sorts of things. So it, it is really around sort of trying to bring what is those soft skills in the job or life skills or whatever you want to call them and put them in as part of the curriculum. Yeah. So um, sort of doing that uh, sort of mapped backward project-based learning yeah um which is why vcal is such a passion of mine because you can do that you can you can start with the project yeah and map it backwards you know well, you don't i mean have to- correct and i think i mean i'm not an education expert by any means i'm a lay person but i'm just sort of thinking like could you have a, a model where it's like 
human skills um, and that's like a subject or could you just try and embed components of that in each subject? And no, I, lo- subject. I love your thinking. I, I'm, yeah. I'm much more around embed everything. Yeah, embed. Right? So go like um, for me when, when we talk about career advice, mm. one of my um, real real passions is that every teacher needs to be a career teacher yep. so that you can't excuse your maths teacher from telling you about where that skill will take you later in life yep. because your career teacher is going to do it, you For know, sure. in a five-minute consult before you go to uni sort of deal. Sure, yeah. um, I really like the idea that you've got to map everything. Mm. You've got to build that connection. And um, actually one of our key um, sort of three areas that we work in is in what, in what we call meaningfulness, and mm. that's um, making sure that education is not at odds with what you see in the rest of the world. Yeah. Um, or at least is mapped to what you see in the world. I just think so much of the world um, and life is just managing relationships and so, so how you present to other people and yeah. how you work with other people to do what you need to do. Correct, yeah. um, and it's, it's sort of it's funny that that's, that's you know, in my short um, life experience, that's what I've sort of seen as one of the most important things, but it's almost none of that comes from school. No. And I just wish kind of that there was more focus on that like you know just little things like how to prepare for a meeting yeah. how to have a meeting yeah, yeah. how to write an email after the meeting yeah, saying yeah. what a great meeting you yeah. know just the little stuff yeah well we i think taking it even one further i i find it very hard to learn anything from someone i don't have a relationship from yeah a relationship with and i think you know if you think back to when i was talking about going to university mm. and stuff i had no relationship with any lecturer mm. that i worked you know that i that i listened to and i certainly didn't have they didn't have any relationship with me yep. and i think i can remember back to every teacher who i felt like i had you know a positive relationship with and i think you know our hardest thing in education is is actually recognising that relationships are really vital to learning mm. um, and probably the most fundamental part of learning and that that is the hardest thing to scale. What do you think you would do if you weren't doing what you do now? Like if you, if blank slate, yeah. I think you would be a teacher. Uh, possibly. I think I'd rather be a prin. There you go. <laughs> there you go. So I'm still a st- – still uh, I like to um, – I like to play in the balcony, not always on the dance floor, oh, if nice. you know what I mean. Like I, I like to look at things from a bit of a distance and yep. um, being the EO at um, BGK Lynn gives me the opportunity to do a bit of both. So. Why don't I just say I think you would be an educator and that way you might also have been a print. So, yeah, so yeah, I'm yeah. Right, I was an educator, so it, it does fit nicely. But um, And every role I think we do, we do education, you know, and I think what we all find is that, that education has some really specialty elements to it um but as i said before like if you can get the relationship building right we can teach ourselves anything you know like um and i think you know necessity is the mother of all invention they say but it's also kind of like the the driving force for education as well if, if you and i need to fix our toilet we can youtube and learn as quick as anybody else oh, in, the world, <laughs> in the world yeah it's crazy how much the world has changed in yeah. a short number of years almost um, yeah you know, you can figure anything out. You can get wherever you need to go and just rely on this thing in your hand. You can yeah, yeah. learn anything. Yeah. Just um So you need a good facilitator these days. True. Yeah. True. But but I think you also need to learn how to navigate technology effectively. Like actually the advent of technology has just led to a lot of um I feel like lag productivity, where like lack of productivity, whereas it needs you need to learn how to actually use the technology harmoniously with your life. Mm. And I think that'll become a big Thing that people need to learn. Maybe it freed up time. 
possibly than... <laughs> freed up time. Yeah. Possibly it, it has freed up time, but then it's sort of like the attention economy. So, oh, yeah, yeah. That's so a like, totally different so term. The, <laughs> the same thing that tells us where to go on a map to get somewhere we need to be and, you know, saves us a lot of worry mm. is going to drag us for six hours a day on average to stare at Facebook or Twitter or mm. you know, whatnot. So the, the, these are like, I think, some of the more difficult conversations that are now popping up in, you know, that, that kind of realm. Yeah, yeah, true. What, what are you excited about that you're working on at, um, at the at the end that you – uh, look, there, there's probably so we've we've gone through so the, towards the end of this year we've been building on a couple of um, uh, really major projects. So we, we've probably had three major projects that we've been doing ongoing um, since the start of last year. Which is um, one is around um, uh, ma- helping young people manage stress and anxiety, and working with our schools and our teachers um, uh, to sort of introduce some new. Um, processes to make sort of anxiety aware classrooms and that's a really cool concept and we've been doing that with the anxiety recovery center who are kind of an unknown but unbelievable little organization Mm. that basically runs the lifeline for anxious people but Mm. also does group getaways for anxious people so the first time we met them the first question i had for them was you know what do you do with a group of anxious people to just level this whole room you know like and they were like oh we do this 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 and i was like we need to do that in the classroom tell me some of the things I, i can't get off this topic yet yeah, yeah. Well, uh, for for our techniques, it's around uh, you know, sort of, of course, establishing a bit of a safe space, but also um, going through, I guess, what everyone can do individually mm. as their own coping strategies and how to how to voice those and and uh, I guess you know, sort of um, have them understood by the the classroom around them. So if everyone knows mm. that what you're doing is something to self regulate, um, but also it like really um, important. What do they do in the getaways? Like how do they, how do they run the ARCs? Oh, I've never been on one. I would I would have loved to have been. Yeah. Do they tell you what they what it's like? Uh, no, they sort of just built the resources with us around okay. around okay. schools. Yeah, yep. yeah. So, yeah. No, I don't think they would ever give us their uh, their the special source. Yeah, yeah. That's right. <laughs> it must um, be awesome to work with these small sort of like. But awesome organisation. Yeah, yeah, I love it. It's my yeah. favourite thing. So yeah. we work with, um, you know, some really cool people. I was uh, talking today with um, a young woman, Sophie, who who runs her own little social enterprise around building belonging in young people. And you know, like we, we work with the Foundation for Young Australians, are a huge organisation. Mm. And um, then we work with Headspace, are a huge organisation. Yeah. And then we work with one individual, Emma, who runs a little organisation um, doing NDIS support, and she's running a, a, a an inclusive transitions program for at the moment where we're using student voice to help kids with disability transition from grade six to year seven you know oh and so you're just jumping from all these you know sort of crazy spaces and um that is absolutely you know so the most rewarding part about our work is um you're always working on really diverse sort of um ways to i guess you know benefit young people so i cut you off the you talked about the anxiety work yeah. that you're doing but yeah. other things do you wanted to mention that you were uh, yeah, yeah well probably those two programs so mm-hmm. the program mm-hmm. with fya so we yep. build a toolkit around that but we're we're going one step forward and we're, we're um, getting um, some amazing women to sort of profile using those skills in their workplaces. So we've got, you know, kind of a barista of the year who works in Hosier Lane making coffee who um, is going to show us, you know, what, what how she works around um, project management and those sorts of things. Um, we've got um, Ali, who I think you've had as a guest here from Code Like a Girl, who's oh, yeah. going to do some stuff around digital literacy. And um, yeah, we've got like, uh, uh, I think the captain from the, the Collingwood TF uh, AFLW team who's um, going to do some stuff around teamwork so just profiling women doing really um, cool stuff and that's part of that sort of respectful relationships mm-hmm. curriculum about not necessarily asking women about being women but asking women about you know or profiling women doing yeah. um, kind of those uh, skills that we usually profile men in 
Um, and then we've got also uh, that program with Emma where we're, where we've built this thing called the Engagement Co-Design Framework, which is um, basically using um, student voice, um, some functional behaviour analysis and um, uh, working with those kids to help help them identify what their strengths are, what their learning preferences are, and also their coping strategies so that they can pass that on to teachers in you know themselves and sort of say, this is the way that I deal with stuff. Um, and that's really because some of the kids that come across into mainstream schools and stuff often are kind of seen as being disengaged when they're, you know, sort of on the floor or rocking or whatever it might be. A lot of the time that's the way that they, they're actually staying in the learning zone. Yeah. You know, so they're actually like, uh, you know, taking the uh, initiative themselves to to self-regulate and someone else, you know, who may not know that child thinks, mm-hmm. oh, you know, they're, they're playing up or whatever. Here. Yeah. Yeah. So this is a real way of trying to sort of knock that out really early in the piece so so the kids get the best chance to sort of engage in the classroom. And, it's an and amazing learn. portfolio of a few things going on. There. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so now this year we're really um, extending those into what can we share, so how do we scale them and what what can we do um, to, to sort of build or layer upon those projects. And um, so we, we've got an app in development with um, the Anxiety Recovery Centre, which is kind of like a, 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 a place on a kid's phone, one app, one spot, where you you can store maybe you know your half your favorite music that you use to self-regulate or your favorite videos it's got some activities in it um, but it's also got your favorite contacts and stuff so if you are in a bit of an anxious space you can just sort of hit that app and oh, bring all that stuff up for you yeah and um uh, and also on the engagement co-design stuff we're going to um, develop that report and give it out to every school who wants it to so every school in victoria if they want it it's amazing um, capacity yeah. building work there yeah, yeah 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 it's really fun um, so with all this stuff, I mean, how do you manage yourself and your time and make sure that you're being your best self every day as a person and at work? Oh, I don't have to try that hard. So uh, I think um, like I'm not always the most productive. I've probably got a 25-minute work span for most of my um, working life, but that's really good if you're in that position where you've got to work with you know staff and things as well. So actually 25 minutes at a time works really well in my office. So so being aware of your own kind of limits of focus. Yeah, and I tell everyone who comes in, you know, like, um, and I think probably my staff would be be the first to say that they can't stand every time I sort of say, you know, has everyone got a minute, you know, like I just need to chat some stuff over. But, um, you know, that's kind of the way I work things out as well, like just talk it through. Um, with my crew and there's there's nothing that's kind of um you know we really if you talk about like that concept of silos Mm. we are really sort of the exact opposite because we all sit in one room together and Mm. and really bounce off each other a lot and you know like i'm just lucky they're a really quite an amazing team Mm. there's um some you know young people um people who've been in the workforce for 40 years you know really fantastic people in that office so it's a nice very lucky a really nice environment yeah it's a good place to be i love it um, so in terms of your own sort of practices, do you have any like wellness or well-being practices? Do you exercise regularly, meditate or um, take time out, you know, to be in nature? What does Brendan do to be best Brendan? Uh, look, I've got two dogs at home. So like we, I think um, I've, got, I've got an amazing partner. So her and I um, spend time together just do, just dagging around, you know. Um, I'm pretty simple. You know, I'm not someone that needs to, to sort of look too hard for what my outlets would be. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, for, for kind of, and I am, I am someone who's, you know, always sort of walked a line of, of, um, being mentally well and unwell. Um, so I've got a naturally anxious sort of, um, 
uh, sort of personality. But um, I think to maintain that, it's really about just being self-aware a bit. Um, so taking time when you need it. So even before today, you know, like just taking 10 minutes to, to sit in the car and breathe it out, you know, like yeah. I, I think I'm really kind of um, uh, really self-aware about that sort of stuff. And again, I tell people all the time, so all my my crew know, you know, exactly what I'm like. Even if I'm feeling anxious, they know what it looks like and yeah. you know, they can give me, you know, whatever I need. So. No, I I didn't think you'd like, you know, I knew you would dominate this podcast. And you've been an amazing guest. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not surprised at all. Yeah. I had no doubt. Thanks. Um, so tell me, with with the space that you're in, you obviously need to be on the pulse with everything and to mm. keep your learning up and, you know, make sure that you're um, immersed in the right um, knowledge and materials. Are you a podcast listener? Are you a reader? Do you have some favorite blogs or websites you frequent? Yeah. Uh, yes. Like, so my Twitter is kind of um, filled with all of my favorite people to listen to. So um, my Twitter becomes kind of like my um, uh, my go-to reading spot. Um, if it comes to late night reading and stuff, I read trash. I am an absolute <laughs> trash reader and I'm not, I'm an, I will never apologize for it. What level of it. trash are we talking? Are we talking news.com.au or how far No, no, no. I'm talking about like dodgy crime and, Lovely. you know, sort of, yeah, detective novels and those sorts of things. Yeah. yeah absolute favorites. Um, and then I'm a, an avid sort of, um, radio national listener on the way to work yep. and, um, uh, you know, usually Francis Leach or someone on the way home. Um, so a lot of my uh, inputs are, are kind of news-based and stuff like that. Um, and then when I get the chance to to spend time, you know, just relaxing, I really turn off. Like I just have no time, <laughs> no time for personal development after about eight o'clock at night. It's all are you just a trash. Netflix and chill kind of person, or what do you yeah, like? Yeah, probably. But I also like reading trashy novels yeah. and and just sort of curling up in bed. And what, what about the social aspect of like? Did your partner also enjoy reading? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. So you can just read next to each other and yeah, that's fine. That's okay. right. yeah. I have a problem where my wife is not a big reader. <laughs> so if I read, it's sort of it's quite shunned. Yeah, so yeah. So that's why we usually just pop open the Netflix. Anyway, yeah. that's, the, that's my excuse for not reading enough. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Everyone got projected in their own way. Yeah. Um, amazing. So how can people learn more about the, the BGK Len and yourself? Yeah, well, look, we are 100% a relationship-based organization. So um, as I said before, all our staff are sort of those partnership brokers. So we're always talking to people. Um, so we're happy if anyone's got any sort of interest to give us a buzz or, you know, you can search us on our um, website or on our socials. What's but, your website? Uh, BGKLEN, so bgkllen.org.au. Yep. Um, or you, or uh, just BGKLEN at, at any of the social sites. But we um, also, you know, happy to take an email or a phone call, sure. those sorts of things through the website. Um, yeah, because we never quite, like we build up a lot of relationships where we don't know how we're going to work together until... We work together, you yeah. know. Um, and so you're happy for people to hit you up on LinkedIn as well? Are you yeah, sure, yeah. yeah. I'm Brendan yeah. O'Connell. Yeah. yeah, and I can say from personal experience, it's, just, it's great working with Brendan and he's an excellent <laughs> connector and connectee. So oh, thank you. You know, it's, it's been great being able to loop you into my own networks and having you part of my network. Oh, good on you, mate. Thanks. So thanks so much for coming in, mate. Yeah, welcome. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button in your podcast player or the link in today's episode notes. Why not share the podcast with your networks? After all, 62% of our subscribers come from word-of-mouth recommendations and social shares. You could also leave us a five-star review and some kind words in the iTunes store. If you love what we do each week and want to support the show, you should join our growing community of Patreon supporters or consider becoming a show sponsor. To learn more about all of that, just head to humansofpurpose.com.